0: As I said before, my name is Andy Hayes. I'm the new youth leader uh, here at this church. Um, been here since June, what was our first day? June 14th, June something like that. Um, so far, I've really enjoyed all the time we've spent here, and I, I, I trust that the feeling is mutual uh, between you two. But, but you all have, have never heard me preach yet, so <laughs> the, all that goodwill could just go right out the window in about, in, in about three hours, which is how long I'll be up here for. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, anyway, as I just read, the text for this morning comes from John uh, chapter 6, probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000. And first, uh, we'll get into a little background of, of the time and the culture. See, in the time of the New Testament, in the early church, all of Israel was under rule from the Roman Empire. Have you heard of them? Yes, the Roman Empire. And yes, the Roman Empire was ruled by different Caesars. These were like the the kings or the president or the rulers. Who uh, These Caesars, they thought they were sent by God to bring peace to the world. And uh, one of the ways they did this, well, they had these these mantras, these slogans that they asked people to say. One of these slogans was, There's no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved than that of Caesar. And another, uh, a bit shorter, and it was simply, Caesar is Lord. So what they would do, the Caesars, they would go around the world with their armies and they would show up at a town or a village or a city and they would ask people to declare that Caesar is Lord. And if you do that, you're in the clear. But if you don't, they kill you. That's just what happened. (laughs) Um, and, And for the people who would say that Caesar is Lord, well, Caesar had to prove that he would take care of these people. And so one of the ways that he would do that is he would occasionally go into these towns and pass out bread to all the people to show that he could provide for them. So Caesar would pass out bread to the crowds of people. Let's just hold on to that thought as we turn to John 6. In John 6, John writes that it was a time of the Passover and a large crowd came towards Jesus. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks, he asks, how will we feed all of these people? It says Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he asked them anyway. One of of his disciples said, six months' wages won't even be enough for everyone to just get a little bit. Another one of his disciples said, there's a boy who has five loaves and two fish, but what would that do for so many people? In verse 10, Jesus tells his disciples to make the people uh, sit down, which, that's just one verse, but a pretty tough task, getting like thousands of people to sit down. I had a hard time getting you guys to sit down after that last (laughs) hymn. Uh, So imagine... Thousands of people. Uh, Well, once they get seated, we know what happens next. Jesus, he gives thanks, they pass out the food to the people. John writes that everyone gets enough to eat, and then Jesus has them collect the leftover food, and there were 12 baskets of food left over. Everyone had enough to eat, and all they had were five loaves of bread and two fish. And with them, Jesus did something that no one could really explain or understand. I mean, even when we think about it today, the thought that all these people could be fed with just five loaves of bread and two fish, it's like, huh, Like that, that doesn't happen. Wow. Um, and this is the only miracle that happens in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so it must mean it's pretty important. See, in every version of the story, the disciples, they express some doubt. Here in John, they talk about how they won't have enough money to buy food for all the people. In, in Matthew's version, the disciples, they just want to send the people away I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, why they'd want to send people away. Uh, the, the 5,000 people were only the men who were there because they didn't count the women and children. But, but they were there, so we're not just talking about 5,000 people, but 10,000 people, maybe 20,000 people. And uh, it, it doesn't matter how good of a sermon Jesus was giving if he's got 10,000 starving people following him around. It's not a recipe for success. I mean, at every church, I've been at the service lasts about an hour and we have food right afterwards. I mean, here we even have like two stops. Like the one out there and then there. Like a lot of food. I, I don't know. I don't know about that stop. But uh, got give, to gotta give the people what, what they want, what they came for, I guess. Um, but, but what the disciples thought was impossible, Jesus knew was possible. Uh, well, when the disciples looked out at all the people and looked at their depleted resources, they came to a rational conclusion that we don't have enough. And I know sometimes the disciples, they keep getting this bad rap for not really believing in Jesus, but I'm sure if they took a poll of all the people in the whole crowd, everyone would agree that it was not enough food. But still, the disciples, they saw what they lacked, and because of this, they wanted to send the people away. I feel like this is number win, one way that we as Christians are like the disciples. We tend to only see what we lack, and it keeps us from helping those who are hungry, who are in need in our own lives. I mean, maybe we feel like we don't have enough food to help those who are hungry, or maybe maybe we don't feel like we have enough money to help those who are hungry, maybe not, not enough time. Maybe we live in fear of losing our comfort. Uh, we like things our way, how we are used to. And when we're called to go out of our comfort zone, we avoid doing it, just like the disciples. And these fears, they keep us; they force us to keep our distance from those who may be hungry. I mean, perhaps the most obvious people who are hungry in our world today um, that people keep away are homeless people. I, I know we volunteer a little bit serving them. Every church does a little bit. But as a whole, the problem of homelessness is not getting any better. We, I mean, when I'm walking down the street downtown, even though I don't want to sometimes keep my distance, would send them away. And if I don't send them away, I don't welcome them the way I welcome others. We tend to think that those who look different from us, maybe we should send them away. Maybe those who who believe different things than us, send them away. Maybe those who have a different color skin than us, send them away. Those who vote different than us, send them away. Part of this is that we, just like the disciples, we don't think we're capable or qualified or have enough resources to help these people. So we send them away. But Jesus saw things differently. He said to give the people all they had. He said give them all we have. And it wasn't just five loaves and two fish. It was was everything they had. See, when we see things as being too hard or that, that we can't make any difference because we aren't good enough or qualified enough or have enough, God sees other possibilities. God sees other possibilities. And he sees these situations as opportunities for God to do something amazing. If only we would give Him a chance. I mean, that's our biggest problem. That's my biggest problem is that we never give God a chance to do something amazing, we never give Him a chance to feed the thousands whatever that is in our own life. I mean, in my own life, I, I think about evangelism, how that, I mean, that's such like a loaded word now, but the idea of telling others about Jesus or talking to them about God, I know I should do it, um, but, but I don't, often, not, not often enough anyway. And I, I'm not alone in this, but, but I rationalize it, right? We, I say, I don't want to talk to that person because what if I mess up or what if I turn them off to God forever and, and it, it makes sense to me and it keeps me from doing it. We make these excuses about how we don't want to mess up, but, 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 but when I think about it, I, I have zero failed evangelism attempts. <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, I'm so afraid to mess up at something that I've never messed up at before. Uh, I believe that we're called to give everything we have, even when, or, or better yet, especially when we don't think we have enough. I mean, I saw a great example of this. We just heard about it at VBS last week. Uh, leading up to the week, I heard a little bit of discouragement that we only had a few kids registered. And to many people, this would perhaps cause them to not give their all or not think what we were doing or to think what we were doing somehow had less meaning or less effect. And we had a lot of volunteers. I mean, we had almost three leaders for every kid, which it's a great ratio for the website or something next year. Um, Every one of the volunteers there gave everything they had. Where we or others may have seen us only having a few kids, I think God saw that it wasn't just a few kids, but it was all of the kids. And somehow, all the volunteers, we bought into that and gave all they had to make an incredible week. And coming back to the story of Jesus feeding everyone, the, the significance of him passing out bread to everyone. Because in their time and their culture, bread was very important. I mean, you've heard stories of manna that God sent the Israelites after they escaped from Egypt. I mean, in VBS this week, one day we talked about how when Elijah was on the run, God sent ravens uh, to bring him bread in the night to eat. And then we have Caesar, who we talked about before, the ruler of the day who would give out bread to people to show that he could provide for them. So Jesus, by miraculously giving bread to thousands of people, was doing a lot more than just giving bread to thousands of people. He was tapping into that history, that Jewish history that these people knew so well. The history of God providing for God's people with food in miraculous ways. Of God always providing for them. And not only that, he was almost making an act of, like, political defiance, wouldn't you say? I mean, the people of the day were conditioned to believe that Caesar was the one who provided, who cared for them, who gave them food, and everyone who didn't believe that, well, they were, they were dead already, because <laughs> so, uh, Caesar killed them. Uh, but Jesus showed them that there's an alternative, that there's someone else who can provide for them, that God can provide for them, and that this God, this ruler, this Lord is different from the other rulers of the day. God isn't a vengeful God who kills anyone who won't obey him. This is a God who brings out rule and peace, not by killing people, but by loving them, by caring for them, by providing for them. In this new way, these new things that Jesus was doing, these miracles were were things that no one could really understand or explain. I mean, his disciples, his, his closest followers didn't even think feeding this many people was possible. They cannot expect it to happen. They cannot understand it. When it happened, probably had a hard time explaining how it happened. And I think we, if we're honest, or just people in general, have a problem with this too, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's so hard to comprehend. And I feel like sometimes that keeps us from believing and trusting in the truth of the story of what God can do with, with the little we have. Because, I mean, got to be someone here, or if not here, maybe you know someone, because you're maybe not allowed to ask this question in church, who's like, so uh, I know this is in the Bible, but did it actually happen? Because did Jesus really feed 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish? Because this stuff just doesn't happen in our world. Maybe, maybe they're saying, I know, I know, I know. Maybe he just took the loaves and fish and he just cut them up into really, really small pieces. So, so I mean, I, we could get 5,000 little pieces for everyone, right? Or, or, or maybe they were just like super big loaves of bread and, and, and they weren't fish, they were two great white sharks that could feed 5,000 people. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's what must be happening here. I. I know it's funny, but it's not actually the worst question. I mean, have any of you seen something like this happen? I don't, I don't think so. I haven't. And we have these accounts in the Bible, so we believe it's true. But if not you, then you know someone who has some doubt about these miracles and whether or not they happened. And to address this question, I'm going to talk about something else. I'm going to talk about what anyone would talk about when talking about miracles, and that is... That is quantum physics. Okay, quantum physics. <laughs> you're all like, you're like, well, he's actually going to go for three hours. <laughs> he wasn't joking. <laughs> go for it. Okay. So do, do we have any quantum quantum physicists in the congregation? You are? No. Okay. All right. None. Okay. Well, I've been learning a little bit more about this lately. It's pretty interesting. Quantum physics is a study of physics at like the smallest level. I learned that we're in the middle of a quantum revolution, yeah, sounds cool, and we're discovering more and more in the past hundred or so years about what the world is made of and how it works. Well, see, a long, long time ago they discovered that the building blocks of, like, the universe are what? They start with an A. Does anyone know? Atoms. Atoms. Wow, you all knew that, yes. Uh, and, and also, along with Adam, so that's one thing, there was a guy named Isaac Newton. He had these laws of science that kind of govern what we believe about science, or maybe not we, but others. Uh, and his third main law says, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, right, great. This is a, like our basic understanding of science, right? That everything has a reaction, everything can be understood, everything can be explained, can be tested, can be proven. So so moving on, they originally thought that atoms were the smallest things in the world, right? And they were. They're very, very, very small. For comparison, the earth is to an orange as an orange is to an atom, okay? That's how small atoms are. And if we wanted to count the atoms in, in one drop of water, uh, if we could, we could, which we could do hypothetically, if everyone in the world started counting, it would take 20,000 years to count all the atoms in that drop of water. And also these atoms, it gets better. Uh, atoms are 99, so everything in the world is made out of an atom. Like this is, we are, the pews, the building. Um, but these atoms are 99.9% empty space. So if somehow we were able to take out all of the empty space out of an atom, all of the people in the world would fit inside a sugar cube. It's not, yeah, yeah, that's true. No, I'm not making this up. You can look it up if you don't believe me. If we took all the space out of the atoms and all the people in the world, we'd fit in a sugar cube. Well, anyway, fairly recently they figured out how to split an atom. And so they did, and they are like, wow, we are wrong. Atoms aren't the smallest things in the world. These new particles actually are. And they're like, we got to figure it out. But then they figured out how to split that atom and that one. And so now we know there's over a hundred times you could split an atom. And one of these particles is called a quark. Say that quark. Quark, Quark, yes. Quarks, they found, they found by observing these quarks that they can be in two different places at the same time, and no one knows why this happens. These quarks, they can also be in one place and then they can travel to another place without traveling the distance in between. I, I, I don't know, no one knows, no one can understand, no one can explain it. And you, well, scientists, they could, they could split a quark in half and they could bring one half to New York and the other half to San Francisco. And if they take a quark in New York and, and reverse the spin of it, the one in San Francisco will do the same thing. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> and, and the craziest thing about all this is that these brilliant scientists, people who've devoted their lives to studying this, cannot explain or understand why it happens. This, this science, this Newtonian understanding of cause and effect just doesn't work with these things. All of this stuff is happening each and every day inside each one of us and in our world that no one can explain or understand why or how it's happening. And it's all proven by science. So, 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 so when, you, when you hear or read of Jesus' miracles where he feeds thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and you say, huh, like, I, well, that's weird. Well, 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 there's crazier things happening that are making scientists and everyone go, huh, that, that's weird. Uh, so, so I would say if, if you're having difficulty believing that Jesus actually fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and if that's holding you back from believing in Jesus or giving your life to follow him, from believing that he can do things that no one could understand or explain, well, well there, there's crazier things happening every day that no one can explain. So I feel like this is one of the major barriers to people following God, is that people can't explain it. Did he actually do these miracles? Did he actually raise from the dead? Because people don't do that. But I don't think that excuse is good enough anymore. Because things are happening every day in this world that no one can explain. Yet we still believe that they're happening. There's so much happening that no one can understand today. So it's not much of a stretch to believe that, that things happened a long time ago that no one can explain or understand. To close, I would ask... What are your loaves and fish in your own life? What, what are the things that you have that maybe you, you could give, but you're not sure if it's enough? Or you're not sure if you're good enough, or you're not sure if it'll make any difference? Maybe your loaves and fish in your life are, are like real loaves and fish. Maybe you have five loaves of bread and two fish in your fridge at home for some reason. I don't know, but, but maybe you need to invite someone over and to share the food with, to make a meal for a friend. Maybe your loaves and fish is your money. Maybe you feel like you don't have enough and any rational understanding would say that it isn't enough to do much. But if that's all you have, then God sees so much more. Maybe your loaves and fish is your time. Maybe you don't have time to spend with the people you want to and do the things you want to to serve those. But God sees so much more. Maybe you're afraid of of giving everything or or afraid of loving someone or welcoming someone or accepting someone because you're very comfortable and don't want too much to change. But God sees many more possibilities if we're willing to give everything. Imagine how much more good Christians could do if we were just willing to go a little bit out of our comfort zones. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that you or we don't have enough or aren't good enough. Jesus fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish in a situation that not even his closest followers thought was possible. Be open and trusting of what God can do with the little we can give. They didn't just use five loaves and two fish. They used everything they had. And when they did, Jesus showed that he can make amazing things happen things that no one can explain or understand. So as you go today, may you be willing to give everything, even when you're afraid, uncomfortable, unwilling. Because if you are willing, if you will give all you have, God will do amazing things in you and through you and with you that no one could expect, explain, or understand. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Praise God, and we thank you, Andy, for rightly dividing the Word of God, uh, breaking it open. It is the bread of life to us. <laughs> Let's uh, let's respond to this message by standing and singing uh, number one hundred one. There.